What's up, everybody? I'm Jake Mintz. And I'm Jordan Schusterman. And we are the hosts of Baseball Barbacast. And we are so excited to be back recording a podcast together Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for the 2024 Major League Baseball season. I am so excited for this year, Jake. Yeah, we are here with Yahoo Sports. Our time off of podcasting has weighed on me heavy. I've been delivering baseball takes to inanimate objects. So I'm rearing to get back to talking ball with my buddy. So join us on Baseball Barbercast. We're going to have a good time. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yes, sir. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode one of the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast. I'm the corporate champ, Therese Paler, senior NFL writer for Yahoo Sports, and I am joined by my friend, the angel of death, Yahoo's other NFL senior writer, Charles Robinson. And we are thrilled to have you with us on the maiden voyage of a podcast that we hope manages to inform you about the sports you love while entertaining the hell out of you as well. That sound about right to you, Charles? Yeah, absolutely. Long time coming. You know, I think you and I have had a lot of conversations about how we'd like to take some of those phone calls, some of those uh, late night venting sessions to a podcast. Finally going to happen. Hopefully everybody gets a little bit out of it and uh, neither of us gets fired. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we're going to push that a little bit. Um, We're both pretty honest guys, especially when we're talking about the sport that we cover. And I think we've talked about this before. Like we want to bring our conversations to your car or to your gym, wherever you're listening to us. Um, we want to bring those conversations and have real honest conversations about football because we both think there's a bit of void in that, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, you and I probably write, uh, talk about 20, 30 percent of what we see. And uh, that's a vast ocean of, of stuff that really we never get to or fans aren't uh, privy to. And you know, I think, look, we got to bring that to the people. You know, you're the you're the corporate champ, the people's champ, whatever <laughs> champ you want to call yeah. it. I, I think uh, I think it's time for us to get rolling and, and well, deliver. Yeah, it depends on depends on how good the people are. Um, <laughs> and I'll tell you this, you know, <laughs> I'll tell you this. We got a great, absolutely jam packed show for you guys today. You know, we're going to kick things off with a discussion about the wild slash interesting things we saw at NFL training camps over the past month. Both of us went on a multi-city two-week tour. I was on the East Coast and I was in the Midwest. I hit up KC, Cleveland, Baltimore, D.C., Detroit, Pittsburgh, Chicago, Indian, Cincy. And Charles, you was Woo. you were ruling the West, baby. You hit yeah. up the Rams, Seahawks, Chargers, Cowboys, Raiders, 49ers, and Broncos. And yes, I wrote them all down. If you're a fan <laughs> of those teams, you're going to want to stay tuned. <laughs> uh, also... Jags cornerback Jalen Ramsey recently threatened to declare war on a Jaguars beat writer while Steelers receiver Antonio Brown tweeted at a Steelers beat writer saying that he was making stuff up. We're going to talk about if things are getting frostier out there. 
And we're going to share some of our own stories from our old beat writing days. Charles, I think you got a few, don't you? Yeah, I think we've all had at some point somebody declare war on us in a locker room or inside a coaching staff. Uh, I mean, I, I don't even going back. I've been covering the league since 2000. Uh, first job I ever had was was covering the Detroit Lions. And I think it took me exactly oh, yeah. uh, a month to get blown up by then head coach Marty <laughs> Morningweg on that beat. But, yeah, I think we all have uh, some some stories where people have gone to war with us and um you know, I, I think it's uh, something that we both can share. I mean, off the top of your head, Absolutely. who's the last guy who went after you? Andy Reid, the Chiefs head coach. Yeah. <laughs> as far as players go, I had a pretty good relationship with most of the players. But remember, I covered a winning team. You right. definitely didn't do that. So right. you also got you got to tell the morning wig story. You also got to tell uh, uh, the Pete Carroll stuff, too. So we'll get to all that. Uh, talking about games, not practice. We're also going to take a look back at week one of the preseason. And we're going to overreact to some stuff we saw. It's a tradition unlike any other among NFL writers and fans this time of year. So we're going to keep that going and have some fun. We're also going to talk about one of the teams Charles visited, the Oakland Raiders. We know the Autumn Wind is a Raider, but the Autumn Wind is also a pretty interesting team right now. I think maybe the most interesting team in football. Um, Charles, you had a chance to go out there and you had a one-on-one with John Gruden. And you got a funny story about that and old school playbooks involving Bill Walsh. Looking forward to that. Uh, and look, the helmet rule, right? I think during our travails and travels during this last month, we've heard a lot of talk about that. So we're going to talk about that and uh, basically how we think it's going to affect the game. And lastly, Charles, you had a great interview with Cole Beasley, uh, the slot man for the Dallas Cowboys, who talks about his budding rap career. Some pretty good stuff there. So um, we're also going to close this thing by talking about the players we're most looking forward to getting another look at in the second round of exhibition games this week. But Charles, first, you want to remind our good listeners of their obligations before we continue? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody knows it's all about fantasy football season. It's time to start thinking about Yahoo Fantasy Football. Yahoo's the number one place to play fantasy football this year, and we've made some serious upgrades to enhance your fantasy experience. Ever wonder how you stack up against the competition? Yahoo has updated their fantasy profile pages so you can see a complete view of your history, your trophies, or in Teresa's case, lack of as well as your rating <laughs> We'll score. see about that. Yeah, we'll First see. year. And First performance year. We'll level in fantasy football. Get your squad together and start a fantasy league. Yahoo is the best fantasy experience on the planet. Sign up today at yahoo.com slash fantasy football. And just a little, uh, a little window into some of the things we'll be talking about this season. We have a 20-team uh, super mm. league that Therese will be taking a part in this year. That is uh, by That's far right. the most brutal league I think I've ever played in. And uh, it's going on year 12. Therese finally gained entry. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to see him bottom out in that league this year. Yeah, you better he, be he ready. Thinks, no, he, he, thinks, he, thinks, he thinks that this is going to be some haze type stuff. But nah, <laughs> man, I'm not getting hazed <laughs> yeah, in my we'll first see. year in this league. I'm we'll an see. experienced pro. Let's go. Of, yeah, listen, you got listen. It. there's uh, a lot of trash talking that occurs in this league uh, as people roll in. And then they all, they all walk out <laughs> with the winless season. We'll see what happens. <laughs> That don't scare me. I'm the corporate champ, baby. Let's go. Why would you worry about getting me uh, the, the the payment information? First? You worry about your commissioner duties. Start there before you worry about how I'm going to do. Um, let's go ahead and get this thing rolling. Week one of the preseason's come and gone. And like I said earlier, we both went on a two-week tour. Um, you know, I, I saw a lot of interesting things while I was out, but you know, you're the one that got to kind of bake in the sunshine on the West Coast. I know you saw some wild stuff. Tell me a couple of things that stood out to you in a good or even a bad way. Yeah, you know, what was interesting to me, I think I went to three different camps where 
the top defensive player wasn't there. You know, I, I was in with the LA Rams mm. and there was no Aaron Donald. I was with the Oakland Raiders. There's no Khalil Mack. And then obviously I'm with the Seattle Seahawks and there's no Earl Thomas. And I think what's really interesting right now is you see a number of defenders that want that absolute top shelf pay. I think Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack, we might be talking, you know, $22 million per year is the kind of number that gets them into camp. I think NFL agents want to mm. start to push that number into the mid uh, to the lower and mid 20s to get them closer to the the elite level quarterback play. And I, you know, you talk to these teams, I just feel like teams don't want to pay uh, that elite level money really to any players unless it's someone who's going to be a Lawrence Taylor type every single year. And, you know, I was in Denver. Bron, uh, Von Miller was supposed to be that guy when they paid him top tier yeah. elite defensive player money. And I think they feel like they have not gotten the elite level Von Miller since he signed that contract. So, I mean, to me, that was a, a little bit of a surprising um, reality out on the road. And then, um, you know, really seeing some of the coaches, um, I think it's interesting because Sean McVay brings what he brings to the table. He's that guy you want to, you know, run mm. through a wall after you talk to him. Um, Pete Carroll, I always make the joke about he's chewing 48 pieces of gum whenever you talk to him. He makes you feel like, you know, you're doing the wrong thing in life. You should be aspiring to more. And then you see a guy like, you know, John Gruden, who's back and every bit of of Gruden that we've yeah. known in the past. So um, that's a that's a good slate of coaches, man. Like of talking to all those guys, like who who would you say is the most personable of three? Because those are like three pretty personable guys. You had a chance to talk to them in succession. Rank them as far as personality goes. Oh, man, that's tough. I mean, that's tough. I, that's, I'm i partial to uh, McVay, I think, just because I, he's yeah. – He's a young guy. He really connects with everyone. He's nothing but positive yep. energy. You don't get any real negativity out of him. Um, I wondered, 100%. look, John Gruden was a guy who I crossed paths with 14 years ago when I was covering the NFL um, down in Orlando and and the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers used to come in to Orlando for training camp. And I wondered if it would still be that same John Gruden after the layoff, if maybe he, he might be yeah. kicking back a little more. No, it's him. He's as salty as ever. He cusses it more is? than I do. Yeah, I mean, I never. Is he? Yeah, he's he's amazing. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Um, people don't know how close they were to having a Raider R version of this podcast. <laughs> we had to uh, had to make an adjustment there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Wait, wait, really? Wait, wait, like, wait, really the same wait, guy? Wait, wait, wait. Let's tell the the truth about this. Right, we were close to having an explicit we lyrics close. podcast until Therese We pushed for it. Dropped the f bomb, and that changed everything. What? <laughs> oh yeah, I was the first one, but I wasn't the only one. Uh, you weren't okay? the only one, but you <laughs> so, were the first. The, uh, oh, but there's only two guys on the podcast, though, so <laughs> that didn't change. That right? As a matter of fact, the last one was you, brother. <laughs> and I think, uh, but if I remember correctly, if I remember correctly, the word came down about the cursing after yours. Yeah, I might have started the yeah. tempo, but you—I might have started that party, but you finished it. Listen, per, um, per capita, you know, I probably cuss more, so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's interesting, though, right? Um, I'm getting ready for you to make fun of uh, the wild thing I saw. I'm ready for that. I'm good with that. Uh, I was in Berea, Ohio, okay? And uh, Cleveland's offense, after 0-16, looking competent. Not going to lie. Tyrod Taylor, you know, I think the jump from Deshaun Kaiser to Tyrod Taylor is massive. Doesn't mean Kaiser can't be a quarter, good quarterback. What it means is, like, last year, though, that cat was, like, Hugh Millen. Right. He was Hugh right. Millen. And yeah. in 1992, 
And I think when you have an offense that can't move the ball, it has such a devastating impact on the defense. I had a chance to talk to Christian Kirksey, the starting linebacker, team captain. And when I asked him, like, when he knew it was going to be a long year in 2017, he he got this, like, really far away look in his eye. Like, I just asked him about the war or something. And he was like, <laughs> it was like a non-like flashback. He was just like, the season opener when Derrick Kendrick intercepted a pass. And I got to the bench and I immediately heard punt alert. And I was just, I was just like, wow, you know, uh, he's, you know, he just that that kind of thing wears on a team. And I, I think that the way Taylor looked, man, like I think they're going to have a chance to be an OK team. Do you do you? Let how me many ask, times have we wait, heard wait, Let me ask you this. Let me interrupt you here. So I so you, you talk about Tyrod. I'm curious after seeing yeah. his performance. Obviously, I love Baker Mayfield. I, I liked his performance in the week one preseason. But Tyrod. Yeah. Tyrod looked good, and and Tyrod had right. his flashes in Buffalo. I wonder if you're an NFL needy team out there. Um, is Tyrod is he the next Foles? Where we're sort of like, hey, Ooh. this is a guy who's going to become available eventually. Um, you know, he's he's not long for that number one job, obviously in Cleveland. That's Baker's job right. eventually. That's and a good uh, you know, how interested are you going to be in Tyrod Taylor dealing for a guy like that? Let me ask you this though: Do you think? It, I'm interested in dealing for Tyrod Taylor if I believe one of two things. Number one, I think that if I have a great defense and I just need somebody to like take care of the ball and I, I can win in the playoffs. If I, if I believe that I have a great defense, you can win some games with Tyrod Taylor. He takes care of the ball. He extends plays. He does some nice things. Right. The other thing I do is if I'm a team that just has to win some games. You know, like Cleveland, like going 0 16 is obviously embarrassing. Right. Yeah. I, I think that he's a better option than what, 10 other starting quarterbacks in the league, 11, 12? I mean, sometimes progressing just means moving forward and winning games. Not every team's trying to win the Super Bowl every is he, year. Is he, better gotta, than just, Al- is he better than Alex Smith? Let me ask you that. He's not better than Alex Smith. He's in that same ballpark, though. Like, he's in that same class, that kind of quarterback, but he's not He's not better than Alex Smith. Is he, um, is Alex he a, is a little okay. more advanced. Is he a $20 million quarterback? No, he's not. He He's... He's what he is. I mean, he's a he's probably a you know stop yet guy, and you'd end up paying him fifteen or sixteen million for one year, you know, maybe two. It just kind of depends on where you're at. But sometimes I'll tell you this though, I don't know if the market ever really crashes for a transition quarterback because every year teams have to take a young guy high, and every yeah. year Mike Glennon gets paid. Guys got to get protected, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I am. I, I, look, I mean, we're both pretty wired in guys as far as knowing people around the league. I don't hear league-wide scoring for Tyrod Taylor. Like, I don't. It's just kind of right. like an acceptance of what he is. What do you hear? Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't think – I don't hear anybody who um, – no one really kills him, you know. But but I also yeah. think he is what sort of what you said. He's still viewed as that stopgap guy. And let yeah. me tell you, it's frustrating as hell for quarterbacks to be in that in that sort of zone. And let me give you an example, Case Keenum in Denver right now. Right. So Case Keenum signs right. what's a, what's a two year deal in Denver. And, but he's seen as a stopgap guy, you know, they're, they're like people are sort of, even though there's not another quarterback on the roster, I still think the way he is viewed in Denver because of the fact that really he's on a two year deal is for him to actually be the plug, the guy for good <laughs> in year one. And pretty quickly, He's going to have to show out and establish that, hey, I'm worthy of a long-term contract extension this next offseason. And I think Tyrod is is that guy. He's going to have to prove at some point, really blow somebody away 
a staff, a, a front yeah. office, um, and and absolutely get paid. And then I think even then, to me, he climbs into Alex Smith territory where the Washington Redskins right. sign an Alex Smith, but again, is Alex Smith the guy to take you to the promised land? I think people will always ask that about Tyrod. People will always ask that about Case Keenum. Is he a guy that will win a Super Bowl for you? Is he a guy you can win a Super Bowl with? Or is he a guy that you win a yeah. Super Bowl in spite of? And the answer is probably not. Probably not a guy that's going to necessarily like lead you there. But I will say this. I feel like every once in a while it happens just enough that like a game manager wins a Super Bowl that these guys stay you know, in, in kind of want, like people want them. You know what I mean? They stay kind of in a sort of demand. You know, like Joe Flacco before him, Trent Dilfer, Brad Johnson. Like it happens just enough yeah. that these guys stay in demand. I noticed you mentioned Denver Broncos. You were just out there, Charles. Uh, but you but you didn't mention Chad Kelly. Uh, <laughs> not to the chagrin of some of your Twitter followers. So you got a pretty nasty one recently, didn't you? little nasty yeah. tweet recently yeah it looked like some looked, nameless egg yeah and a nameless egg that looked suspiciously like some kind of a burner account someone uh and <laughs> maybe, maybe in chad <laughs> kelly's family uh defending chad <laughs> kelly yeah that's just, i you if know there's was, a bill you, listen man let no. me tell you something this is crazy so this is the probably craziest thing that i heard when i was in in broncos camp uh where the fans are mm-hmm. set up they're pretty far from the field they're kind of off right so i get in i mm-hmm. had a chance to talk to some people there and um, basically, one one person said to me, "Look, Paxton Lynch has been so poor in practice that at one point during a practice, they could hear fans—not a large contingent of them—booing him, but basically openly criticizing him and kind of saying stuff, yelling stuff, you know, from the fan from the fan base." And I'm like, "God, this right. is training camp! Like, you make your day out, you go out there, mm-hmm. like." For for the backup to be performing and now third stringer to be performing that poorly, the 2016 first round pick, the the hope of the franchise only two years ago uh, that you're getting you know sort of booed or or catcalled um, yeah. in in practice is really <laughs> well, wild. Well, I tell you one thing: we're going to get this podcast off to a better start than Paxton has his career, <laughs> God, uh, and we're so. just getting started. And, and we're just—I <laughs> don't think that's a high bar to clear. Uh, we're just getting started, baby. We're still going to talk about beat writer team beefs. We're going to overreact to Week One. And we're going to chop it up about the Gruden Raiders and the atrocious new helmet rule. But first, a word from our sponsors. All right, on to the part of the show where we talk about four topics that interest us and by proxy we think interest you. Um, I guess we could give us some sort of hacky name like Four Downs or something, but <laughs> I don't think that uh, yeah. um, I don't think that's what we're going for here. We're trying to do something a little different. We're trying to have a little bit of fun. Um, so maybe if a name comes to us organically, you know, we could name it that. But uh, interact with us on the show, like tweet at us. You know, maybe we'll name something based on what you tweet us. Interact with us. We are. We are all in, baby. As for topic number one, Jags cornerback Jalen Ramsey recently threatened to declare war on a Jaguars beat writer for recording that training camp fight between Yannick Ngakwe and Dante Fowler. 
And also, Steelers receiver Antonio Brown called a Steelers beat writer, basically called him a liar, said he was making stuff up for reporting that Brown walked off the field with the limp at a recent practice. Uh, Charles, you and I are both former beat writers. Uh, most recently, I was at the Kansas City Star. You had a variety of papers for a long time before you went to Yahoo. Um, I'm curious, man. You did cover Gruden. You covered Marty Morningweg. What's the closest you came to a player coach you covered declaring war on you? Uh, look, I when I started covering the Lions, um, so I was, what, 22? I mean, this is a long time ago, Marty Morningweg. Um, mm. About a month after the infamous ride-off from practice on the Harley, uh, <laughs> kick everybody out, embarrassment. Um, I had Marty Morningweg. For him. We, yeah, for him, for him. We were about a month into the season covering them, and uh, they went 2-14 and 14 that year. They were off to an 0-4 start. I was pretty stupid at, at 22, and I, I, I really <laughs> – <laughs> didn't think through what I wrote all the time. And uh, there was one day we were in a practice and we're watching and Marty left the field for about 15 minutes. And and I sat there and I'm thinking, now, why would Marty leave the field for 15 minutes during a practice? I had never seen that before. Now, again, I'm 22 and I thought I knew everything. <laughs> and I never, although I will say this, I've never seen a coach leave the field for 15 minutes during a practice since. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, so he left. I've never the seen next, that either. Yeah. The ne- so the next day I decide, I'm going to get cute, which is just the dumbest thing you can do as a brand new beat writer. And uh, my lead <laughs> to my story was something about Marty Morningweg leaving the field for 10 or 15 minutes without explanation. But maybe he was checking to see if his office had been cleaned out. <laughs> which which lo- looking back was not oh, the best way goodness. to approach being 22 and, co- and and covering your first NFL team. So the next day. <laughs> we're at the super. We're at the um, we're at the Silverdome in Pontiac. This is before they before obviously they they blew it up and um, you had to walk up to the practice field, long walk, right? And uh, the whole team walks up with the coaching staff. So I'm walking up, and the whole team's in front of me. Coaching staff's in front of me, like far in front of me. And I see Marty, and Marty starts walking really slow. And it was right after I'd see him kind of look over his shoulder, and he saw me. So he starts walking really slow, and I'm thinking. Man, why is Marty walking so mm. slow right now? What's going on? Like this is all right. This is kind of weird. So he timed it so that he walked slow enough that I caught up to him right on the edge of the practice field, and in full view of all the players, he mother effed me, screaming like screaming. If it, if this happened today, every it would be on every social media platform. It would be on Sports Center with them bleeping him out. I mean, he went nuclear on me in Whoa. front of the whole team. And I remember it was bad because Alonzo Spellman. <laughs> Alonzo Spellman people, of all people. Yeah, of all people, <laughs> Alonzo Spellman, who was, who was woo, yeah. something else. He was so, out, yeah. Yeah. So Alonzo Spellman, it's like 100 degrees out. Alonzo Spellman's in like full on sweatshirt, sweatpants, 0% body fat, weighing 300 pounds, Alonzo Spellman. Whoa. Here's the whole thing. And all I hear is, oh, expletive. Oh, oh, <laughs> coach is blown. Oh, and I was so embarrassed. And uh, the, and, and I had, uh, it was my learning moment. Tom Kowalski, who was one of the Lions beat writers, I think had been on at the beat at that point, like 20, 21 years, comes up to me and he pulls me aside and he says, look, I wasn't going to say anything to you, but you know why that happened, right? And I was like, because of what I wrote today, <laughs> he said, yeah, you don't take a shot at the coach for four games in when they're 0 and 4. So that was right. uh, that was a rough going. And and Marty was there for two years and it essentially took me the two years and mm. a grand total of five wins 
on Marty's part to kind of make up. And uh, when they fired him, I remember he invited me into his house. I was on his doorstep the day they fired oh, him. Oh, man. And he invited me into his oh, house man. for a cup of coffee. and We buried it. But, man, it was pretty stupid. It took a minute, though. Yeah, it you did. can't be taking gratuitous shots at NFL head coaches in the media. Um, unless, you're, unless you're a columnist, then it kind of pays for you to do I it. I was right, though. <laughs> I was right. I was right. They won, listen, yeah. they won five games in two was, years. Maybe, maybe was, they would have saved themselves something had he that yeah. soft's been cleaned out after four games. Yeah, was that before? That was that was before like the win thing against the Bears, right? So like that, that wasn't even that wasn't. We hadn't even gotten okay. to that point. He yeah. had, his you missteps even, right. at that point had been like sounding crazy. By in in his monotone saying the bar is high, the bar like is had, high. Yeah, yeah, that whole thing, and then the Harley thing, and you kind of at that point had to be like, man, this might not go we're well players, between him and Matt Miller. Were players just laughing at the Harley thing? Weren't they just like? <laughs> I remember like reading stories from back then, like and like all of them included like players said with a chuckle. Players, imagine, like, I just, okay, I but just, no, now imagine today. That's the crazy thing is that like. If you, that happens in 2000, 2001, imagine. Oh so it happened in 2001 season. Imagine today. So let's, let's say, uh, give me a new coach. Give me, so, so let's, who's a new coach this year? And let's imagine that new coach just deciding, you know, all right, I'm going to throw everybody off the field and then ride off the field on a Harley. Like, can we get <laughs> that, hard knocks on that? that? <laughs> Like, you know how memeable that is? Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, Marty, is he's lucky, like, there wasn't Twitter then. Like, because yeah. that photo of him driving yeah. away, yeah. as people look confused, was just iconic. Like, me and my friends laughed about that for, like, weeks. It, it, it yeah. I, God, that's a good topic. That's something we got to remember. Like, things that happened in the NFL long ago that, like, would have been memeable. Like, that's something we should remember. Oh, that's definitely um, memeable. Oh, my God. I... <laughs> I, look, here's the thing. I covered the NFL for five years. Not they spent them all in Kansas City, the Kansas City Stars, the Chiefs B rider. Part of like what fosters some of this like horrible stuff is like when the team is just really bad right. and they're mad and you're just like, I gotta call it like I see it, champ. You know, and you're calling it like you see it. I never once covered a losing team in Kansas City. So like there was never was that much hostility, except um 2015 when they started one and five. And even then the Chiefs got lucky because the Royals we're, winning the, we're on the way to win the World Series at the time. So that wasn't um, kind of a big thing. But one time, I do remember, and I had to ask it because it's my job. Um, a couple years ago, Eric Fisher, number one pick. Some people don't think he's lived up to it. Um, <laughs> at the time this happened, he certainly didn't. That certainly was the case. Um, it's 2015, I believe. And Fisher was starting all through camp at left tackle, right? And then we get to the week before the season, and Andy Reid gets up in front of us and says, all right, so we're going to move Eric Fisher to right tackle. We're going to start Don Stevens in a left tackle. And, and he says this, and he tries to explain to us that it was more about what Donald Stevenson was doing right. than what Eric Fisher had done. <laughs> that's why Eric Flowers and I'm just is like, at, hey, hey, that's why Eric Flowers is at right tackle right now for the, for the New York Giants. Because, hey, listen, you know. And listen, it's more about Nate Solder, okay? It got nothing right. to do with So I'm like, okay, well, someone's going to have to ask this, even though Andy, who's done this a long time, tried to cut this off at the head by getting out in front of it early and saying, hey, listen, this is why I did it. So I go, I just ask him. I'm just like, I think this is a fair question. I'm like, what is it? A, is it is it a disappointment that Eric Fisher's not starting at left tackle? You guys used the first round pick on him. 
And like you can tell at this point, Andy Reid, who's probably one of the most mild mannered coaches in the NFL, <laughs> bar none, is in like full Papa Bear mode now. He's just like, "Did you hear what I just said?" <laughs> and and I'm just like, "Yeah." And I'm asking again, and he proceeded to explain again. But the way he said it was pretty. He was pretty pissed off. Yeah. Um, and then like I and then I answered like a que- I asked him a question like I guess like right again because you just have to when stuff like that happens. Right. right. But yeah, I was just like. You know, I, I know that game at that point. Someone had to ask the question, and I'm glad I did. You know, it, he, it, it let him know that we knew, you know, that Fisher has to play better, and he's just got to get over it. Turns out he did start playing better. Um, I think he kind of got ridiculed into it, uh, by the way, because he didn't start that first game, and, and we were making fun of it, that it being the J.J. Watt flu, and I think that kind of – It's a lot of that flu going around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, at the time there certainly was. Um, but now let's get to some actual football because we had week one of the preseason, which is coming gone, and that means there's finally something new to write, and yeah. uh, that means that writers and fans we all go overboard on it, and we're gonna embrace it because that's fun, right? It's football, let's do it. Um, because nothing's more indicative of the way the season's gonna go with uh, offenses ripping up defenses playing cover one, cover two, or cover three with one right. generic blitz, right? <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> Anyway, let's go ahead and do it. Charles, give me one overreaction slash bold prediction based on week one of the preseason. Okay, well, we are purposely overreacting here, but I, I will say this. I um, We always look at that 84 quarterback class, you know, Elway, um, mm. Marino. I mean, that, the 84 class really in terms of just players in general set the standard, but obviously there were, what, five, I want to say five or six quarterbacks taken the first round in 84. Right. And to me – I wonder whether or not maybe this quarterback class uh, ends up being one of the best quarterback classes ever. Um, I, I mm. it's, it's a huge overreaction, obviously, in week one. But I will say this. There were things that Baker Mayfield did, and again, against the vanilla defense, against you know potentially guys who won't be on the roster, that were very interesting to me from just the man, right out of the box perspective. Um, I, I told you, I said, I, I watched uh, – his touchdown pass to David and Joku in the back of the end zone. And I watched it a few times and I swear Baker Mayfield purposely threw that behind yeah. him just a shade to keep it away from it. Had, it's basically where it had to be. So the DBs couldn't get to mm-hmm. it. That's unbelievable for a rookie to do that. All, you know, and yet in, in this first few snaps of the NFL, I think Sam Darnold, I think people are losing their minds in New York already about Sam Darnold. Right. And I would suggest people go back and read the things that were being written about Mark Sanchez when he had his initial success yep. in New York, just to temper that a little bit. Um, but you know, Josh Rosen, obviously Josh Allen had some hits, some hits and misses in uh, in Buffalo's debut. I just think overall that class to me, I'm like, wow, we thought they were talented, and I, I think I'd like to see them I, I like be it. as talented as we think they are. Let, let's unpack that a little bit, okay? So who's the Elway of the class? Oh my God, man, that's rough. That is a rough question, man. It's so hard to compare guys to say an Elway or a Marino. It's overreaction. Or, I mean, it's listen, overreaction. I, are we talking physically? Or are we talking from a leadership standpoint? No, no, no. Just, um, yo, just, just, just potential production. That's potential it. production. Not like play style. Yeah, just right. not play style. Right. I'm talking about right now how you see their careers unfold. I, I still think even I, – I although I think it has not completely fleshed itself out, I still think Josh Rosen is going to be the guy in Arizona who 
throws just from a pure passing perspective. And I actually know Elway and Kubiak, when they watched film on him, they thought he was the most beautiful, natural uh, thrower in this yeah. draft. And and to me, when you have a guy like John Elway, who may, is not obsessed with arm strength in a player, he's saying, hey, look, mm-hmm. just from the yeah. natural spinning it perspective, this kid is off the charts. To me, I think that, you know, if Rosen has all that natural talent, and I think if he doesn't achieve it, either they ruined him or he screwed it up. Like, I, I, I don't see him failing yeah. because he doesn't have those tools. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Rosen's the best pocket passer of the bunch. His uh, and I'm gonna get to this later, but his week one performance was a little off. Cause that that offensive line might get him beat up yeah, this year, right, man. Right. Like he, the Chargers either look really, really fast, or or the Cardinals' offensive line looks really, really slow. But that was a, ooh, like I, I don't know if it's good to let him take those kind of hits early, man. Like that line's better get better, uh, better get better. Uh, look, my 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 overreaction is. I'm I'm on the Andrew Luck train. I'm buying it. I'm in. Uh, first performance, he was six of nine for sixty-four yards. He led two scoring drives against Seattle. Uh, but but I'll tell you this, man. I'm buying Frank Reich and I'm buying the Colts. And here's why, Charles. We've talked about this a little bit, and this was a good counterpoint to me. Like an Andrew Luck, you mentioned he's a physical quarterback. Yeah, he likes to run physical. Like he takes punishment. Right. You reached he, out to somebody and, there. What, what did they say? Yeah. And what did they was, tell you about him? I, I had a chance when I was in Broncos camp. Um, I had someone from the Colts organization reach out to me and just, you know, we, we were kind of chatting it up. And he was asking me if I was coming to see them. I said, no, we got on to talking about Andrew Luck. And I said, you know, hey, is, is all the positive stuff that I'm reading, um, you know, how do you feel about it? And he yeah. said, look, at the end of the day, he hasn't been hit. He's like, we got to see him get hit. And and we know that his game trends toward Andrew Luck hanging onto that ball so that he can make the big yeah. play and then taking, absorbing the punishment that comes along with that. So to me, I think to hear someone inside the Colts organization sort of white knuckling it, saying, All right, let's let's see him get pounded That's a little something. bit. And yeah, I mean, that is. And so to right. me, I'm like That's something. Yeah, you can spin it, but look, we once those guys start getting hit, and again, you you we talked that about changes it, like, it, man. Andrew Luck will take those hits. He will, but but here's the thing too, and this is one of the reasons I was glad that we had a chance to go on our tour because I got a chance to go out to Westfield, Indiana, and spend some time at their facility. I think they know that, right? They obviously know that in the organization, but they're doing everything they need to do to try to kind of beat that out of them a little bit. Um, it's gonna be. It's going to be a quick pace. Though. I mean, they're going to get the ball out. Frank Reich is going to bring that same get the ball out quick thing that they did in Philadelphia. It's a lot of quick passes, a lot of quick throws, quick rhythm. I think they're trying to establish a, t- a mindset up front, which they've done with the drafting of Quentin Nelson. Uh, they expect him. And they said he has actually kind of brought a nasty physicality to it. And I think that, yeah, they know that there's a physical nature of Andrew Luck. But they're one, he also said when we were there that, there were times he wondered if he'd ever get back, and I think that might make you change your playing style. And two, if he's if he's got three step drops all the time, yeah, that's it's going to be a little hard to just keep holding it when the first read should be there. So well, I think it's going to be interesting. But like based on what I saw, though, I, I do believe it. I, I I like I like what Frank Wright's trying to do to protect his quarterback. And and is Quentin Nelson as good as? I mean, it's oh. unbelievable the things people are saying about Def- him. Not and and not even in Indy. I'm talking about when you talk to people around the league. I know who are seeing not even I mean, I don't think they're seeing full cutups, but they're seeing some of the practice footage. And, yeah, you know, I know I know the Niners feel really good about Mike McGlinchey, who obviously was at Notre Dame with Quentin Nelson. But you you hear other guys in the NFL that are like, 
if they're not asking you, have you seen him? You know, is he as good as kind of some of the cutups we've seen? Some you know some stuff here or there. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's amazing for an offensive lineman to get training camp buzz like that. And he yeah. he's oddly in this rookie class. Yeah. You know, the quarterbacks overshadow it, but it's he's so getting some weird. buzz. For a left guard. It's so weird. It's so weird for a left guard to have that kind of buzz. But I say it all the time. Like he's Steve Hutchinson, man. Like, like the, that's who this guy is. And, and people are projecting him to go to Pro Bowls or make all pros already. And and Indy, they'll tell you that he's the one that's changed like the mindset of the offensive line. And they're giving that kind of credit to a rookie offensive lineman, which never happens. So you're right, man. That that is uh he is one of the most fascinating rookies. Um in this year's class and for for him to be an offensive guard i don't know when you'll see that again i, I have a uh, question for you though speaking, before we move on yeah uh, has andrew luck ever seen the captain andrew luck twitter account in which in which he is portrayed as like a civil war general <laughs> this is one of my I'm favorite sure he twitter has, accounts of but all good luck time. trying to get him to give you a good answer about wait, that you wait, know, wait, he, wait 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 you know luck is luck is one of the most he is one of the most <laughs> reserved quarterbacks ever in those pressers. Man. I, I want to hear him read. The next time we have to make it, we have to make a promise to each other. The next time one of us is out there, we have to ask if we can get, and maybe we could do this for the podcast. Actually, now that I think about it, we oh. have to get Andrew Luck reading Captain Andrew Luck tweets. I think. Uh, I, I think it. His, his last one. I'm going to read it for you. This is great. Dearest mother. The unit has reached the outskirts of Hawks of Sea territory. <laughs> we shall set camp for tomorrow with plans to battle. I am more eager than we than when we await the crops to come in. I am ready. My resolve is mighty. Give the chickens my best. I love you, Andrew. <laughs> it's so it's so genius. That guy, whoever created that, kudos to you, man. Yeah, we gotta um, figure out who's behind that account. I, I know, I know. Um that might be one of the most interesting. Uh, Twitter accounts related to the NFL. But uh, I would tell you this, the Raiders might be the most interesting team in the NFL. I really yeah. believe that because you got Khalil Mack's contract situation and you got John Gruden signing every old guy he can in hopes of recreating the O2 Bucks. What is the sense you're getting out there? Are you, are you getting a sense that Gruden's going to make it happen? He's got some talent, got a quarterback, got mm. a receiver, got some things on offense at least. If you had to put a guess on where the where the where the Raiders wind up this year, what would you do? What would you say? Um, I you know I will say this: I have not liked some of the things that John has said in the run up um, to this season. The mm-hmm. stuff about you know, and and I think a little bit is the caricature of of John Gruden, where he yeah. kind of craps on analytics and you know talks about numbers and data and GPSs and you know stuff like that, and. You know, I think that's the caricature of John saying we need to be tough again. We need to kind of take football back to this era that I think people have forgotten about and and that he thinks can still be successful and maybe a counter to all the spread crazy, you know, just all the stuff that we're starting to see now. But um, when I talked to him, I said, I said, look, John, I remember, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when Dick Vermeil ended up back in St. Louis and people were killing mm-hmm. Vermeil as a relic. They were saying this guy's old, yeah. he's lost it, he's passed the game and or the game's passed him. And then what happens? He has Mike Martz, um he, a number of offensive pieces, you know, that were Hall of Fame caliber. Kurt Warner falls in his lap and next thing you know, yeah. you know, Vermeil doesn't look so dumb. I don't know that John's going to have all those kind of pieces. But I kind of get the same vibe that maybe he's a little smarter than we and, and even I gave him credit for. 
Um, mm. So, you know, so we'll, more we'll Dick see. Vermeil. So more Dick Vermeil than Joe Gibbs as far as redos go. Interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would I be shocked if he's Joe Gibbs, if he's if he's the, you know, comes back and middles and doesn't make it. I wouldn't be stunned. But um, I don't think he's I get sort of part of what he's trying to infuse there. And I talked to Jared yeah. Cook and I asked Cook about this idea that John was showing them um, footage of, uh, you know, plays from 20 you know 10 years 20 years 30 years 40 years ago and i and i kind of said to jared i'm like look man that's that's pretty wild like i get it it's kind of out there but jared said what i thought was really interesting he defended it and we were talking privately and intimately in a way that you know i think he was being completely honest it wasn't just for a quote he said um look Mm -hmm. some of these plays that were running i didn't know where they came from i didn't know the root of them i didn't know why they were initially implemented in the nfl and for the first time and he's in his 10th year I am learning plays that I've run in multiple systems over 10 years and never really had a true understanding of why that play succeeds in the NFL. And he's like, John shows me it. And to me, it draws me a little further into our playbook than I might otherwise be. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll I'll buy that. Give him a chance. I think uh, that makes sense, man. I think Gruden is a guy who's got got a lot of personality. I mean, look, it's a good gamble for Oakland. Like no matter what you're bringing more eyeballs to the Raiders, you know, uh, I, I will play devil's advocate and say, though, the 0-2 Bucks, that was so long ago, they never ran shotgun right, at one right. time. You know, yeah. I think that, you know, like that's something that you got to, you know, John's going to have to adapt somewhat. You know, you can't just take it all the way back to 1985. Right. right. You just can't totally do it. But he does still have some of his juice, though, doesn't he? And you know that because I didn't just pull the 85 thing you out of nowhere, not. did I? No, you didn't. <laughs> it was interesting when I was there. Uh, so Craig Walsh, Bill Walsh's son, uh, uh, had visited camp. And after Gruden and I had talked, uh, he was walking off the field a little bit later. And I basically said goodbye to him. And he had a couple real thick playbooks uh, uh, tucked under his arm. And he kind of, you know, did the little sort of wink and nod toward look what I got under my arm. And I rolled up on him and I looked and I saw it said Bill Walsh uh 49ers 1985 offensive playbooks and I and I and he said these are Bill's playbooks which apparently hadn't seen the light of day um you know and and his son had had kept them after Bill's passing and I I asked Gruden and you and I and this is a subject we're going to end up talking about at some point this season you know Bill Walsh wrote Absolutely. that iconic book Finding the Winning Edge which tells you how to build a mm-hmm. franchise from the mortar, how to be a head coach, right? How to be a head coach, how, how to be a, GM. a how to guy to be a head coach. Yeah, you got yeah, it, yeah, hard right to down, find, too. Very hard, expensive. Um, you know, and and how to right down to the janitorial staff, and it's basically a blueprint. Yep. And I asked John, I said, Do you think any of that found its way into finding the winning edge? And John almost peed himself when I asked him about that book. First off, he was like, <laughs> you know, He's like, Oh, greatest football book ever. Like, and then he said, But then he said to me, No, I don't think any of this made it in there. And, you know, to him, he's and it was it was wild to see him so cool. walking with two Bill Walsh 1985 playbooks under his arm no. that haven't been out in decades and heading toward a quarterback meeting in which Peyton Manning was going to be fine tuning, okay, you know, some of the stuff with with his quarterback. So really listen. good example of Gruden maybe still having juice, man, like really good example of that. One thing I don't think is going to give the league much juice is this horrific helmet rule, lowering of the helmet rule. Um, yeah. Not trying to sour anybody on it uh, beforehand, but I'm, I'm just telling you, I don't think this is going to go well. Viking safety Andrews and Deho made headlines by wearing a make football violent again hat at Vikings camp. 
I can assure you he's not the only one who feels that way. Um, and he did that because his rule um, is, is one that already people seem to hate. Uh, so basically in March, the NFL, with little advance warning, big shock there, uh, put a new rule in place penalizing players, offensive or defensive, 15 yards and a possible ejection, fine or suspension for lowering the head to hit an opponent. This rule is apparently not subject to quarterbacks, but everyone else, including offensive linemen, um, it's fair game. Look, I hate this rule. I think it's going to be a disaster. It was called twice during a Hall of Fame game on defensive players in open field situations. And then in the Cardinals-Chargers game we were just talking about I mean, from week one, uh, Cardinals safety A.J. Howard was flagged for hitting a defenseless receiver after he went low, used his shoulder, and popped a fumble out. It was an awful call. And if that was a penalty, I'm Barry Sanders, okay? Um, <laughs> and then there was one. There was a, there was an even worse one later on Travell Dixon in the same game. Yeah. Where it was basically a form tackle. Yeah. And it's just like, dude, I think I think fans need to be ready for this to be one of the most explosive seasons of offense in, in pro football history. Because they've been slowly legislating defense out of the game. And this is just another tool to do that. And like whether I, they tell refs to scale it back in the regular season, dude, it's a subjective call and there's right. still enough incompetent refs. See, you know like this is gonna get called. Here and here's my thing too, when I think about this. Um number one, I think the NFL might have made a mistake here. And I think I think oh, yeah. the problem that the NFL now has on its hands, like you said, a couple of those calls on on, on Cardinals defenders, um, if that happens in a playoff game. If that happens in a Super Bowl, even if say this is rain back, say what we're seeing right now is, you know, absolute Ooh. maximum volume on this and they're going to pull it back. Um, if something subjective like that happens, it will live in infamy like the tuck rule does. It will live in infamy and it will be a negative surrounding this game. And I think it's going to be like this, just like the Des, you know, did Des catch it, all that crap. I think it's one more layer of the NFL probably yep. getting beyond its own boundaries and now it's got to figure out what to do about it. And, and man, I just, it's a, I, I don't know why it's, this wasn't thought through. And I mean, clearly they're going to say it was thought through, but and, and let me, and look, no one's being glib about player safety. Players want to hit each other. Right. And most importantly, fans want to see people hit. They do. Right. right. And I, I was recently watching a football life with Rodney Harrison and like, for the for the record, like if you enjoy like violent football players, like Rodney Harrison's on field demeanor, I mean, he said like hit him in the mouth like thirty three times yeah, in right. his football life, right? Right. I don't think people are going to be hitting anyone in the mouth anymore. That's, that's thirty three um, fines. But, that's thirty three fines. Now. Right. <laughs> hit him in the mouth with that real crazy look in his eye. <laughs> the point is like you're never going to have another enforcer like that again, right? You know, and right. we've come a long way from those kind of days. But like the NFL. The NFL was the one pushing this propaganda. Right. I remember when I was eight years old, man, and for Christmas, I got two NFL films tapes. One was NFL Rocks, which is about 60 minutes, all these highlights, to like Bon Jovi and stuff. And then the second one was called Master Blast, the NFL's <laughs> hardest hitters. <laughs> now... You're turning red. Listen. Because you think we're about to get pulled off the air. Listen. Yeah, because not. listen, no. listen. In my household, in my household, if eight-year-old Charles found a VHS tape that said Master Blasters on it, I would have probably found it under my dad's mattress. And I probably would have been sat down for a long conversation. <laughs> and and I'm gonna tell you right now, well, if you still have a VCR and you still have that VHS. 
you are a serial killer. You are a serial killer. No one watches VHS tapes uh, nowadays unless you're John Gruden or a serial killer. You, if you if you do that, you're middle. You definitely go by three names. You don't know? listen. Like, don't let your girl see Master Blaster up in your VHS cassette. <laughs> You can be sleeping on the it couch. is on the same level as like it's on the same level as like in Diana Jones in the temple. Like, yeah, right, right. right. Sa- saving Ryan's privates. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can't. You just can't do it. You can't have it. She can't yeah. find that. Brought to you uh, by Vivid uh, Entertainment. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, we just picked up a sponsor. <laughs> yeah. We will take any sponsors. Come on. <laughs> You're listening to the first and last. Yes. Yahoo Football Podcast. And uh, that caps us. <laughs> See you next time in 10 years. Uh, uh, but, th- but look, look, the point is like you and I both know that this is going to be called at the worst. This rule, these penalties are going to be called at the worst possible time for some perpetually tortured franchise. And we also know this. Trump is going to politicize this because he yeah. loves nothing more than just taking wax at the NFL as much as he can. And it right. works. Right. It works. Right. It's it not works. about... We, you know, you and I have talked about this before, particularly when it comes down to Trump. It's not whether the criticism is right or wrong. For him, the criticism is the product. And and right. there's no reason to shut that down. He'll find a way to create <laughs> yeah. that product. The product being the league itself and the product being the players. Right. right. Like, you got right. it. Um, on that note, speaking of Trump, one team that can't help but be associated with him is the Dallas Cowboys. Because of their owner, Jerry Jones, who smacked dab in the middle of that anthem debate. That Trump just loves to swipe the NFL for. Um, and Charles, you happen to spend some time in Cowboys camp this month. And you scored a great interview with Cowboys receiver Cole Beasley, who talks about his budding rap career and his influences. Tupac involved. Pretty interesting. Um, Charles, what propelled you to interview Cole Beasley about this? I, I think it's interesting. I, look, for me, when I first heard, I had the same reaction as everybody else who uh, really is not close to Cole Beasley when I heard, first off, when I heard Cowboys wide receiver um, is, you know, uh, launches rap album. And honestly, this <laughs> plays into like racial stereotypes. I never would have thought, it, A, it was the 5'8 white guy. Never. It's okay. I just wouldn't you can have. Say, so, no, I think yeah, you can it, say that. Look, it's okay. It's legit. And and so I thought, you know, I want to ask like a million percent you, Yeah. I will, and, and, I, and I, you put your money on like Terrence Williams or something like you yeah, don't like, oh, like I just you know really I was like Cole Beasley Cole, like the like, dude's right. got the long blonde right. hair and like it just does not look you know you just you to me you, and again it's about racial stereotypes and I that's on me for just not considering it and then obviously the second thing I thought was and Cole and I talked about this this probably isn't gonna be good <laughs> like this is probably well, not gonna be good and it's uh, not bad and, yeah. and i'll tell you what this is a good interview too so um with that said like check it out like it's, it's a pretty good look at a guy who's not afraid to be different check it out here we go all right welcome back to the yahoo sports nfl podcast and uh, this being our debut endeavor gives us a little something in common with the guest we have for our debut effort uh, mr cole beasley you know him as number 11 on the Dallas Cowboys, had a debut effort of his own, a rap album. Mm-hmm. Obviously, now you've kind of had that. It's a few months in the rearview mirror. What's what's it been like, I guess, the, the last few months sort of since, obviously, the single dropped and then the the, the full-fledged effort came out and you had the, the release party and everything. So what's what's the what's it been like, I guess, since this came out? Um, it's definitely been a new experience. Um, 
I've been rapping for a while and, and been making music on my own for a long time, but actually doing it is a is a whole different story. And there's there's tons of new loops that you kind of jump through and um, new things that you have to be a part of. And um, it's really just been a new journey and a new experience and, and full of new things for me to to get out there and do. And um, I'm not really a guy that likes to to be out in public like that and, mm. and you know be in the public eye, but um, it's kind of forced me to get out there a little bit more, but. Um, it's been fun, you know. There hasn't really been any bad experiences from it. Um, reviews with the album are, are both good and bad. With playing in the NFL, you know, which was expected, but I mean, I don't care. It, it makes me happy to do it, and I was already doing it anyway, so I might as well, you know, pursue it anyway. That's, I mean, how, that's yeah. how I felt. So it's a passion. Um, yeah, it, it's fun, man. And even if it were to just tank and do horrible, I would still do it either way. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. What um. Was it sweet, sort of the fact that it came out? I, I think, you know, I, I actually have a theory that um, it's extremely hard for anyone whose main paycheck is, is athletics, whether it's, it's basketball, it's harder, football. Yeah. Way yeah, harder. You break into music, and I think people are predisposed to thinking this is going to be garbage. Yeah. It's, it's just that's, that's almost how people feel. And then on top of it, let's be honest. You're white, right? You know, and, yeah. but the, the funny thing is, my theory is it's actually more difficult for an athlete to break in than a white guy to break in because we've seen white guys have critical acclaim, we've seen them have right. success, no question. We have not seen that really right. with athletes, and yet your debut comes out. And I think what I heard and what I saw was a lot of people going, "Oh shit!" Like this, right. this actually isn't bad. Like, and and I, I thought to myself, like, I wonder if Cole's sitting there like. Right, like I'm glad these people yeah. are like. I mean, feel good. I knew, man. I've, I've just because I've put a lot of time and effort into it, and I'm, I'm the type of person. Anything that I kind of fall in love with uh, and and want to do, I mean, I put my all into it. Whether it's football, whether it's my family, whether it's doing music. So, um, you know, I think the hardest part is getting people to look past. You know, me being an athlete, I still think there's a ton of people. I feel like the people who heard it, it's mostly everybody likes it, but. I feel like it's hard to get people to even give it a chance and even listen to it. I still think there's pretty much everybody in the world hasn't listened to it just because, I mean, he's an athlete. They're like, oh, he's, he's in the NFL. It's, it's probably trash. You know, that's just how people think. I mean, I would think that way, so I understand it. Um, but, you know, guys can do more than, than one thing. Do you do – you, was there ever any thought given to – could we release this and not let people really know it's me? Like just sort of as an initial. That's how it started. Yeah. See, that's my question is like I, when I first heard it, I was like, man, I bet you if I just rolled this out to somebody and said, listen to this, what do you think of this? You know, played a few tracks, um, kind of got what their feedback was first. We actually did that without telling people who it was in 95 to Almost 100% were like, man, this is dope. Oh, okay. I didn't so, even know that. No, that because, I mean, we wanted to do that because I, knew, I already knew the stigmas with being an athlete and rapping. So right. I was like, man, let, when you let people hear it, don't even tell them it's me. Just okay. let them listen to it first. And, and initially, we weren't going to use my name. We were going to just create some alias. But just the money with marketing, it, it just didn't make sense to do that. You know, I didn't want to spend all this money to market when I could just I already had a platform to kind of get it out there but then also at the same time taking that chance that nobody's going to listen to it anyway so um, but we just felt like it outweighed the, the other way you know using my name Was it your producer who, who then took it and said hey you know I don't want to play something for you I want to let you listen to this before I tell yeah. you who it is mm -hmm. okay 
What uh, what were your influences? I mean, I know you from what I have seen. You know, you talked about how this really started in college. Mm-hmm. What I guess what drew you and did you did you listen to rap hip hop before before college? Or oh, what, I mean, yeah. what really pulled I've, you? I've listened to. The first song I ever heard was Tupac Thug Love when I was like in second grade. <laughs> so, I mean, I probably heard some before, but nothing really caught me until my brother was listening listening to it on like one of those big boom boxes that like, like his room was, I, re- I specifically remember this. It was so dark in his room. He had blankets over the, uh, uh, the windows because he was a teenager and, and sleeping all day and it was just pitch black in there, but he had this boom box that just lit up with all these crazy colors and he had a Tupac CD in there. And I would sneak in there and kind of play it sometimes, um, even when he wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's kind of when I first kind of got into it, like for real, for real. And then ever since then, I was listening to it, and then it just—I don't know—something came to me. I started listening to, started listening to it differently, and listened to how different people rap and um, guys who were like more technical, like M and and Trash from Naughty by Nature, and just. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just started listening differently and studying it really. And Things studied. like flow, yeah. cadence, the bars. Yeah, you it's know? important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The cadence and the flow is 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 important. I always like when I'm writing a song. That's how I start out. I don't even know what I'm gonna rap about, but I find the the flow of it before I do anything. It's funny to me how everybody who really has experienced something intimate with really any music, but you know, particularly hip hop, rap always remembers the first like I remember for me it was Beastie Boys License the Hill came out in 86 I was like nine Mm -hmm. and I remember when I heard it I was I didn't really know what it was but I was like something about this I like like something kind of kind of gravitated toward it it's funny because as I've gotten older I keep going back to License the Hill and I feel like every phase of my life I notice something new Right. About listening yeah. to it. You it's do. timeless, but mm-hmm. I'm like, oh man, there's words I noticed exactly. or certain parts of the hook or things that I never heard before or songs I didn't like. Those are good albums. Now I like yeah. it's like that. Yeah. You yeah. discover them your you whole can life. Al- you can always go back to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, a few of those, I have a few of those. The one for me is uh, Marshall Mathers LP and then uh, Notorious B.I.G.'s um, Ready to Die. Ready to die. That's the one I'll go back to every time. Yeah. The two, those, the two, two. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember that. God, that was wore that out. Yeah. What? Give me, give me, kind of the phases of what made you go through that thought process. Like why it was really important. Was it because you thought, man, this is going to be a lot of criticism? Like I'm just, I got to gear up for this. Or yeah, because that was part of the reason why I left the NFL in the first place. Because there was, it was just too much, you know, stress dealing with everything else um, that comes with it. And, uh, and then at the same time, I'm thinking about my family too and, and what that, what that would bring to them, you know, I mean, it could have been just horrible and tanked, but I mean, I knew that I could do it, you know? So I was like, when this comes out, you know, it could be humongous, you know, and then our lives are going to change forever. So I just thought about all those things and if I wanted to do that or not, but, um, and I, I started talking about that in my songs and you, you can't have fear, um, of everything else that comes with doing something you love. You just got to do it because that's your passion. That's what you want to do. Right. Um, so that's, that was like the deciding, I was just, screw everybody else, man. I just, just got to do me regardless and stop I, thinking about people. And that was really like a changing point in my life in general. Like not just with music, with everything now. I don't, I don't give a damn about what anybody's saying anymore. Right. It's just, it doesn't matter. I mean, people in this, in this day and age, in this era, it's, 
you know, there's all these opinions and it's, most people are just following trends and doing something that everybody else is doing. It's not right. even them. So well, I don't know. We're exposed I don't, to them a lot more right. now too. What I thought was really interesting too, was you, you talked about your wife and you said at one point, I think, and, and you can tell me if I'm misinterpreting this, but yeah. you kind of said, I got all these people who are trying to tell me I'm, um, you know, trying to be something other than white or whatever. Right. And that's why even my wife isn't white. And, I, and it sounded to me like you were saying, I don't hear that from her. Like right. I don't hear she accepts me for what I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a lot of it is, like I say, you know, people think that way about it. They think I'm trying to be black or something like that. But I was just saying, well, maybe that's why my wife ended up not being white because she wasn't saying that. So right. you're, you're getting, you're, I mean, you're on point with that. So that was basically a big part of, like, it took me a while to not care about that stuff to to get to the album or get to where I started doing it for real. I mean, I've, I've been rapping for a long time, but I wouldn't rap around my, like, white friends or, you know, it'd just be the dudes that rap, obviously, because right. they're not judging you for it or, or, you know, it's what they do too. So um, they don't think about it like that. So, I mean, it's just kind of how it is. Rap careers can last a long time. Football oh, no, careers I mean, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to do it forever. So, yeah. I mean, I'm going to do it until I can't anymore. Both of them, football and, and rap, so. Listen, I'm just getting started, really. I'd be remiss if I did not ask you a football question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Tell me why. Why is this going to be the season? Why? What is it that's that's going to put it together this year? Still the best season to this day that I've ever had in the NFL. It was a year where everybody wrote us off and they thought we weren't going to be any good. And then that same year, like our starting quarterback went down and then they really wrote us off. And then we went 13-3. And that was that was the best team I've ever been a part of. There were no there were no egos or no like it was just going to work every day and everybody was having fun, um, embracing the challenge. And you know it's the same feel. I was actually telling somebody this yesterday. It's the same feel as as when that happened when Romo went down and and um, and Dak was going to step in. I mean we didn't we didn't blink at all then. It was just we were just excited about the opportunity and nobody expected anything from us and. Um, everybody was just going out there working and having fun, man. And that's what it is now. It's a bunch of younger, young, hungry dudes um, just going out and grinding. Everybody has something to prove because we got guys from other teams who people have written all oh, they were supposed to be this and they weren't. You know, they were overhyped and drafted too high, haven't done anything in the NFL. We have guys like that coming to our team now, and they, they got a lot to prove too, mm-hmm. the, the veteran guys. So – Young guys and veteran guys who have a lot to prove, that's that's a good combination to have in the NFL. You miss Dez? Oh, no question. Yes. Dez, Dez was a big personality, and, and um, he was a big, like, vocal leader in our room. And um, that presence is just hard to, to kind of feel when you've been, you know, in that for, I guess this, it would have been six years or seven years today, but it was six years I played with him. And. Um, you know, he's, he's a misunderstood guy, but, um, he really is a genuinely good person that, that, you know, cares for all of his teammates. And, um, it was, it was tough to see him go, but I still text him to this day and we still talk. So, um, and he's, he's doing well, man. I think he's in a good place and, and, you know, he's happy. Well, I know we'll be pulling for you this season and, uh, I just want to thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. I wish you plenty of success and health this season yes, and then obviously with uh, the rapping endeavor going forward man chase your passion I appreciate it cool. yep thank you
Okay, so pretty good stuff there, Charles. Real quick, man, before we move on, what stood out to you about Cole as an interview subject? He was a lot more reserved than I expected. You know, someone who mm-hmm. plays in the NFL, you have to have a certain level of confidence about you. A little, uh, And to be, honestly, a 5'8 uh, slot guy, you got to be tough. You got to have some rocks. Like you do, you can't, yeah. it's, it's a, it some is a stones, hard position baby. to play. You do. And, uh, oh, yeah. and, and to play it in Dallas. And then also just honestly to have the balls to, to go out, uh, and, and put out a rap album. Um, I expected yeah. someone who's going to be really over the top. And, and, and again, this is limited interaction with Cole Beasley up until this point. And, and I thought he was a little more reserved, very thoughtful kind of guy. Um, yeah. very interesting, yeah. very curious, honestly, to see how he fits into that offense this year. And we'll see how the Cowboys do week two of the preseason, which is coming up. And we'll quickly talk about the players and other teams we're looking forward to getting more eyes on this upcoming weekend. But first, it's time to start thinking about Yahoo's fantasy football season. Once again, Yahoo is the number one rated fantasy football game for commissioners. And the 2018 season will be better than ever with new scoring updates and updated fantasy profiles. Don't miss out on the best fantasy experience on the planet. Sign up now at yahoo.com slash fantasy football. Okay, okay, Charles, before we get out of here, I want to I wanna kind of review a little bit some guys that we're developing an early man crush on. Who do we want to see in week two of this preseason? For me, I got to tell you, Saquon Barkley. Play number one, number two Jeez. overall pick in the draft for the Giants. The running back, counter. I love counter. You guys get to know that about me. I love any power, and I love counter. And, uh, man, his burst was was ridiculous. And also, I know there were some questions about his vision, but he made like eight guys miss on the play. I think he's okay. Um, he only got a handful of snaps in that game. But, man, if Saquon Barkley, like, really is, like, a legitimate, like, shady-ish star, like, shade, you know, LaShawn McCoy-like star, how cool would that be having a back like that? In uh in New York, man. Yeah. When he when yeah. he took that carry and just hearing knowing it's a preseason game, and then hearing that, yeah. you're like, wow, this guy, you know, that was sort of that moment where I'm like, my God, you know, to be big in New York is unlike being big anywhere else. And and to be a big time it. running back in New York is something they have not really had um, you know, for the Giants in a long time, and I think would be really amazing for him. So I think me personally, I I uh I don't want to keep going back to the Browns. Well, I, I, but I will say this, I was skeptical of what Baker Mayfield would look like coming out only because Mm -hmm. you hear so many Mm -hmm. differing opinions on him in personnel Mm -hmm. circles, but watching him. And again, knowing again, who he's playing against, you go in against second tier Mm -hmm. players. um, I was very, very impressed because the hallmarks of what he is, the efficiency um, the accuracy, uh, they were all there that immediately. Plays. Boom. Right that out, right plays. off the screen. Footwork this, too. Yeah. Footwork, yeah, the point, yeah. like he was moving, you know? Yeah. I, I, I will play devil. I will play devil's advocate though. Not crazy about the hard knocks episode and Hugh having to ask him when he got there, you know, like I, I thought like the first thing he would do is like match Taylor's the time he gets there. But I will also say this, maybe it's one of those deals where like he wins the job and it changes. Like sometimes that happens as well. Um, also, Josh Allen took a look, took a closer look at him. I wasn't expecting much. There's some real tools there, but we got to see a whole lot more before we, before I feel comfortable saying he'll be able to play this year. Just Did don't you get a throw the ball. Him, by the way, look, listen, <laughs> Josh Allen. Yeah. <laughs> if you're vertical, like okay, so if you're horizontal to the ground, yeah, is not yeah. an ideal. I know you have a strong arm. Horizontal, 
not a good way to throw the football. If your body yeah. is levitating no. over the ground, it's That's especially not a great way to go. So yeah, yeah. I you know I'm, I don't want to kill him on yeah. it, but that was definitely one where I'm like, I'm oh my you. god, please don't do that. Um, an, another guy I thought was interesting, and since we're talking all the young guys, there's a, a an older guy that I think Ooh. I really am really really interested to see Marshawn Lynch, and Ooh, I'm interested. Yes, really? I'm inter- yes, because for a couple of reasons. Number one. Huh. I've noticed the I was with the Raiders the past two off seasons or the past two preseasons. And each time right. I thought Marshawn looked in better shape than the previous year. So when I saw him in Oakland last year, I was like, man, he looks like he came into Oakland yeah. um, in better shape than he was at the tail end okay. in Seattle. And then this year, I think he looks even better. And Gruden is hellbent on putting a fullback in front of him. He talks about it all the time. Um, and then – I'll tell you what, you watched that preseason game, the touchdown that was called back on Marshawn Lynch. Mm-hmm. He he still has speed. I still think Marshawn's got a little bit left. And I I wonder if maybe he will be Frank Gorish in that we will see Ooh. a spark at the end. You know, one more season of of Marshawn where we're like, wow, he still has the ability to be a dominant running back. And he's with a coach who wants to run like crazy. So um, I think it'll be interesting. Okay, Charles, before we get out of here, my man, you got anything you want to – Tell the people you're working on anything you want to give some uh, pre-advanced eyeballs to my friend. Well, look, I mean, the season's coming up. I think, you know, there's uh, some potential quarterback trades that I think are, are going to be in the works. We've talked okay. about this. I think people need to keep an eye on Teddy Bridgewater, because I will say this. If Teddy nice. Bridgewater continues to look how he looked in the first preseason game, I think there's a team out there that might go, hey, you know, nice. maybe we bring this guy in and, and give him a look and. Maybe Teddy Bridgewater at his best in Minnesota much. is still yeah it won't cost much. I like that uh, personally. I just ramped up the I wrapped up the corporate camp tour with a trip to Cincinnati. I'm going to write about the Bengals bringing the deep ball uh, back to the office or at least trying to. I think whether or not you think that'll work will probably come down to whether you believe in Marvin Lewis's ability to kind of make adjustments and change things and how they've been going there. I'll also be having a market forecast on Le'Veon Bell pretty soon, so keep an eye out on that. All right, folks. Look, we encourage you, please rate and review us on iTunes. Leave us some feedback. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. Yeah, actually, actually save what you don't like. Just give us five stars. <laughs> say you like us. And who are we kidding here? This is a killer podcast. It's only going to get better. Charles and I are pretty plugged in. We both love the sport. You know, the longer we do this thing, the better it's going to get, baby. That sounds about right to you, my man. That sounds about right. And I, I will go ahead and chip in here and say the one millionth five-star review will get a Bill Walsh 1985 playbook. <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's guarantee it. Um, okay. Thank you to executive producers Kevin Kaduk and Al Toby. Thank you to producers John Adams and Joe Pelusi. You guys can find Charles Robinson on Twitter, at Charles Robinson. You can find me on Twitter, at Therese Paler. We appreciate you listening. Be sure to check back in next week. We'll be back. Another killer podcast. We're excited. We're going to rock this thing. Thanks for listening. Peace. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate... You can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. All state vehicle and property insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.